Hey, what's going on, guys? This is the Leafs Convo Podcast presented by Vanguard Northeast Realty in Scarborough, vanguardne.ca. I'm Norman James in London, Ontario, joined as always by Mike Augello in Chictawaga, New York. Mr. A, how are you? Hi, Norm. Uh, I am well, uh, although the weather in western New York is depressing and dreary, but uh, I'm sure that everybody in Toronto right now is enthused by the success of their basketball team mm-hmm. and maybe in the future, the success of their hockey team. Yeah, let's hope so. Don't forget the underlings to the Maple Leafs are pretty damn successful, and they're venturing into the third round against the Charlotte Checkers. Mike, it is the sixth anniversary of the meltdown in Boston. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Mike Babcock, much to the chagrin of a lot of Leaf fans, will be back as head coach of the Maple Leafs for 1920. In terms of his coaching buddies, he may have to find some new ones, though. Yeah, I mean, it's been out there for a little while that DJ Smith is on the radar for uh, at least two and maybe three teams in terms of head coaching positions. I know that he was given that the Leafs gave the Ottawa Senators permission to talk to Smith about their head coaching job. Um, there was some speculation that uh, Ken Holland, who just took over in Edmonton, um, might be interested in interviewing if they don't land Dave Tippett, who apparently is the leading candidate for the Oilers job. And Smith's name has been mentioned uh, as possibly in connection with Buffalo. But, you know, he's getting fe- he's getting some feelers out there. There's no guarantee he's going to get any one of those three jobs. And if he doesn't, then he probably comes back. But uh, sounds like there's going to be some changes to Babcock's staff. Uh, Jim Hiller, who's been his assistant since uh, he was hired in 2015, um, he has basically been given permission to talk to anybody in the league, and the speculation is that he won't be back. Would Sheldon Keefe be a viable option for any of these teams? As for him being a viable option for an assistant coach with the Leafs, I think absolutely not. I think he, if he stays with the Leafs organization, it'll still be as the Marlies head coach. Um, there has been some talk about uh, Buffalo having interest in Keefe. Um, but Elliot Friedman said it best. Uh, he mentioned on his 31 thoughts podcast last week that if Keith is leaving Toronto, it's not going to be for Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo is pretty much a train wreck on the level of Edmonton and Ottawa going through coaches every two years. And why wouldn't Keith on a new contract, Mm -hmm. wait a year or two until, you know, Mike, I mean, more than likely Mike Babcock is not finishing out the, the full eight years of his deal. Uh, if he has some success, he could if he wanted to. But and then Keith could go someplace else, if, especially if, if he wins two Calder Cups in a row. But I don't think Buffalo is a is a good option for him. Uh, and you know, if there's other jobs out there that really, you know, hit a home run, then maybe he goes. But uh, I think he's going to stay with Toronto. But there is some interest out there in Keith. Are you telling me Mike Babcock senses the end is coming for him, perhaps prematurely? when weighted against his contract? Well, I mean, I think he's realistic in the sense that, you know, the first year was the tank year, and that doesn't really count. But three years in a row, the team has had first-round exits, Washington and now Boston two years in a row. Um, you know, this is a results-oriented business. And, you know, I, I don't think they're looking to fire him right Way I think they're they're looking for him to have the success that they thought there was going to be when they hired him. So if it does happen, then I think he continues. He was left hanging out a bit after the end of the season press conference. I think that was on purpose. I think that you know there was a message being sent that 
you know, you're not an untouchable. You're going to have to adjust to the times. You're going to have to do certain things. And one of those things is win and win in the playoffs. And if he can't get this team to win in the playoffs, then somebody else will. We were going on all season long about the Leafs deficiencies and how the team wasn't necessarily set up personnel wise to optimize success. How can we look back now and go, well, Mike Babcock didn't get the job done. Well, I think it's more than just Babcock. You can't lay the lack of success last season all on him. I mean, the, you know, time aspect of Austin Matthews and other players playing Zach Hyman uh, on a torn ACL. I mean, all those things that happened in the playoffs, you know, those are factors that he has to own. But again, this roster was not good enough. It was clear from the very beginning of the season that the defense wasn't good enough. Uh, Dubis tried to address that with the addition of Muzzin, but they needed a right shot. They couldn't get any more defenders. Then they had defensemen hurt in Dermott and Gardner. And we can see from what, you know, guard, uh, with Dermott going out uh, with a shoulder surgery and being out for six months, I mean, that we know that that it was a serious injury. And we look at the Leafs' defense going into next season. We don't know what they're going to do in terms of trade or free agent signing or what. But, you know, Gardner is probably gone. Hainsey, we don't know about. Dermott will be out at least the first month of the season. There's going to be a lot of changes on the blue line. I'm interested to see what happens. And I've mentioned this on previous podcasts with Kyle Dubas and his transactional process during the summer months. Does he make a splash? Does he do something bold to recoup defensive help? Or does he essentially stay the course, save a couple of minor deals to plug a few holes here and there and just let mm-hmm. Mike Babcock fend for himself with the roster that Kyle Dubas believes is uh, appropriate for the time being a roster that his buddy Sheldon Keefe will take over at some point. Well, and this may be overstated because I've heard a few media members mention this, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again is that, you know, Dubas is, I mean, he's been made aware and he's recognized, you know, what Masai Ujiri has done with the Raptors. And obviously, you know, he fired a coach of the year uh, and he traded the team's best player for a better player in Kawhi Leonard. And you see the results Mm -hmm. of what happened with the Raptors winning on Sunday. That, you know, communicates to him that bold moves sometimes can be difference-making moves. The question is, is whether you can make the right bold move. And I, you know, there's no guarantee that Dubas is going to do this. If, if he doesn't see a deal out there that is beneficial to this team, then he's going to stay with what he's got. But I think that the, especially in this season with a number of teams having upset losses in the first round of the playoffs and teams looking to make changes and the salary cap being a factor, I think those deals are out there. And we know that this team is in a position of strength when it comes to players up Mm -hmm. front and is not in a position of strength when it comes to players on the blue line. And I think until they address that, this team will continue to have problems when it counts in the playoffs. There is a belief that, you know, Mike Babcock's been read the riot act and that he could be on borrowed time to make a deal to help further Mike Babcock's success while sending a message that you're not going to be my guy for the full term doesn't make a lot of sense. And we know that Kyle Dubas is extremely calculated. Do you think Mike Babcock will have 
any say whatsoever in who joins his coaching staff, provided Jim Hiller leaves and DJ Smith takes off too? I think he'll have almost complete control oh, really? of his coaching okay. staff. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, I I don't know whether that's written in the words of the of the of his contract, but I I don't think you know this is not a Randy Carlisle situation where you bring in his assistant coaches who he you know the ones that he brought in were let go and the ones that were brought in after that um, that. You know, Peter Horachuk and I think it was Steve Spot. You know, I don't think they were his choices. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's going to happen. And and honestly, I don't think Kyle Dubas is going to go down the road of not pulling the trigger on something that will be beneficial to the team because Mike Babcock is the head mm-hmm. coach. I think that Kyle Dubas's reputation is tied into the success or failure of this team. And be damned if it's Babcock or if it's Sheldon Keefe, this team has got to win. And yeah. I made the I – mean, I made the, the, the comparative in my, uh, in my column today. It's like, you know, you have the Raptors winning yesterday and everybody in euphoric in uh, Jurassic Park in Toronto and, you know, the Blue Jays winning ALS or uh, getting to the ALCS two consecutive years in 2015 and 2016. Though, you know, the, the reaction to those events are, would be dwarfed oh, by sure what happened if, Austin Matthews scored an overtime goal in game seven. And that's the task in front of Kyle Dubas because this fan base is getting sick of waiting. Mm-hmm. I think they're fed up. I think, you know, they were excited by the addition of Tavares. Now they want this team to sure. win and it's not, e- not that easy, but Dubas has to find a way to make this team. Tavares better. scored 45 goals in the regular season and did all he could in the playoffs playing against the best line in hockey. So Johnny T has paid it for his massive contract through production. And I don't see any reason why he won't continue to do so. It's Mike Babcock's fault in a lot of ways. The Leafs lost game seven, but it's the team's fault. They lost game six. Babcock is the guy on the hot seat. Now there's an expectation. It's win or you're done. This dynamic with Babcock as the head coach and Sheldon Keefe laying in wait. Peculiar. Well, I, I don't think it's going to force Babcock into doing something that he doesn't want to do because, as I think we've said on previous shows, if he gets fired by the Leafs or if he decides to quit uh, in the middle of his contract, you know, whatever the how, however the situation plays out, if he wants the coach again, he will because sure. he'll be, you know, look look at some of the coaches that are being talked about and being possibly hired, you know, Jacques Martin. Uh, Ralph Kruger, <laughs> yeah. Dave Tippett. I mean, you know, this is a league. This guy has won a Stanley Cup and two Olympic gold medals. He's going to get another job. Um, so, I mean, it's simply with Sheldon Keefe, he's the coach in waiting. I think, you know, we've known that for a while. I don't think it's going to really affect and force Babcock to do something he doesn't want to do. He, it's just a reality. But I, I think there's pressure on him. There's pressure on Dubas. Um, if somebody's going to go down the line, it'll probably be Babcock first, but that's not surprising. You know, the general manager has got the run of the organization. He's got the confidence of the, the board and the team president. And that's, that's the way it's going to go. It's just a question of when, and if, uh, they have success before then, or if they don't. And And Babcock's going to be paid every red cent that is owed to him. Here's a question for listeners. If Sheldon Keefe has the exact same team as Mike Babcock this coming season, the same firepower up front, but not a lot of uh, acquired help on defense with guys like Timothy Lilgren and Rasmus Sandin potentially getting a kick at the can. 
Does he do any better? There is a level of communication that maybe being a younger coach would be better yep. from Keith than than from Babcock. Uh, I mean, Babcock definitely is somebody who believes in his plan, and we've seen the inflexibility mm-hmm. of of Babcock in certain game situations. But for all those things, you have the experience of Bad Babcock as opposed to the. NHL inexperience of Sheldon Keefe. So there's going to be a give and take there. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the Leafs are in any rush to push Babcock out. They're just in a rush for results. Sure. I agree. And I think that they see, and I think that they see the fact that, you know, there were some things based on Babcock's lack of flexibility that did not contribute to their uh, victory in that series, but contributed to them their defeat. Mm-hmm. And I think that they want to try to nip that in the bud and try to get him to be flexible, more flexible. Babcock was a mess coaching in game seven. And he compounded that disaster with his defensive postseason press conference. But Mike Babcock has, we, we talk about this guy like he should be put out the pasture. I mean, the guy is one of the great coaches of our generation. He's only won one Stanley Cup, but he's been to several finals, and his record is incredible. So we've got to give the guy some credit, and we've got to give the guy a little bit of leniency and a little extra rope to try to make something happen. I feel the dynamic is a bit odd, but if there is a, a sense that Mike, you know, Mike Babcock might be rounding third base, uh, on his tenure with the Maple Leafs and it's put up or shut up time and he understands that, then so be it there, Mike. Six years to the day of the collapse in Boston, 2013, the Leafs were up 4-1. And it looked like they were going to move on through against the Bruins. I remember Nazem Kadri scoring a goal in that uh, game seven back in 2013. Boston just didn't yeah. look like they were going to be able to get back into this thing. And then it all changed. And we're talking about something that happened six years ago. Uh, clearly, it's the anniversary of it. But the Leafs have lost to the Bruins twice since. Not in as spectacular fashion, but they've been three game sevens with this team and weren't able to get the job done. When I tweeted this out, because um, I was making a little bit of a comparative between the euphoria and the ecstasy of um, you know, the Toronto fans, uh, the Raptors game, uh, the, the, and then comp and then going the opposite direction of the agony of the the uh the anniversary of that uh, dreaded game in 2013 mm-hmm. and 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 honestly the, the the person who responded to me says you know why did you have to bring that up i says well because it's relevant because this team has not won since mm-hmm. they you know they, they've gone through a rebuild there's you know, only two players and will soon be one after Jake Gardner leaves in free agency, but Kadri and Gardner are the only two team, two members of that 2013 team that are still on this roster. But it's the fact that this team has lost to essentially the same team, the same Bruin team with the same core, uh, twice more with Rask mm-hmm. and Bergeron and Marchand, those guys, they've lost to them twice. And the problems of them in Game Seven and not hosting the Game Seven instead of being on the road—all mm-hmm. these things are relevant to where this team is now. And until they win a round, until they have some success in the postseason, you will continue to dwell over that painful loss six years ago. It's like Bartman 
and the Cubs. It was a one-off, yeah, Mike. It, it was an aberration as well because prior to 2013, the Leafs hadn't made the playoffs since 2004 pre-lockout. And then they mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs again until 2017. It almost felt, it out, felt out of place. And then the season after, the Leafs had 90 points with uh, about a month and a bit to go. And they totally, you know, it was an 18-wheeler going right off the cliff. Randy Carlisle mm-hmm. lost his job. Mike, it, it does have impact. These scars are, are deep for many people. And the Leafs have had two chances to beat the Bruins since and went to game seven in both situations and still have not been able to um, get over the hump. And people might think that one doesn't have to do with the other, but you know what, when you keep hitting that roadblock at the same point of the playoffs in sometimes the same fashion, they all have something to do with one another. Real quick, Marley's checkers. Mm -hmm. What are you expecting out of Sheldon Keith's Marley's just uh, more of the same? Well, uh, first two games are on the road. It would be surprising if this team can continue being undefeated in the playoffs. They're 7-0 and right now. Charlotte's had a pretty good regular season and played very well in the playoffs. The one benefit for the Marlies is that Charlotte's parent club, at least right now, are alive in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, and a number of their players that are, would be on the checkers are on either black aces or playing with, uh, with, with the, with the hurricanes against the Bruins. So early on in that series, that may be an advantage for, for the Marlies, but you know, it, if, if Carolina does lose, then they'll get replenished with a couple players and they'll be a tougher, they'll be a very tough opponent for, for the Marlies. The other question is whether Callie Rosen will be back. Um, you know, he was hurt in game one of the series against Cleveland and they said he would miss the entire series against Cleveland but now with another week off we'll see if he comes back maybe not because it was a shoulder injury and maybe they'll just be you know be careful with it and not rush him back because they he, he's somebody who the Leafs probably will have to play on their blue line next uh, October here's a serious question Mike and I know a lot of our listeners would like to get to the bottom of it are you more of a checker or a black ace <laughs> I'm neither <laughs> uh, r- real quick before we go DJ Olenek my uh, Russian brother from another mother a big time listener of the podcast, whether on podcast or on the YouTube channel, wants to know why a team doesn't just pay a fourth liner to completely rid the earth of Brad Marchand. This, you know, Marchand, the rat, everybody hates his guts, man, but the guy, he's still playing, you know? And if, if we were on the Leafs, I'm sure we'd find ways to make sense of what he does. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, as a, as a fan looking at it from the outside in, you know, you would like to say, hey, you know, like if you were playing the San Jose Sharks in the Stanley Cup final and you have Michael Haley, who's, you know, a $650,000 fourth line guy who's disposable, you know, go out there and run, run Brad Marchand into the boards. Problem is, is that Michael Haley will have to eat the 40 game suspension mm-hmm. that he'll get for doing it. So it's you know not going to happen. If you can hit him clean and it's possible, then you know, I'm sure most of the and most NHL players will applaud you because he's a reviled character, but he's also one of the best players in this league. He just is a is just a, annoying because he's so good and because he's so good at being a rat. Now we know how the rest of the league felt when Darcy Tucker was running around out there. Sideshow Bob, he was nowhere near as offensively gifted as Brad Marchand, but he was diminutive. And in a lot of ways, he was tougher. So... You know, he was on the Leafs, Darcy Tucker, and we loved him. 
you know what? If the Leafs had a player like that, you know, a lot of some fans wouldn't have the stomach for him, but a lot of other fans would grin and bear it. And if he helped the Leafs finally conquer Mount Boston or the first round for once and move on to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think we could deal with it. Mr. Agello, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Norm. We would like to thank Vanguard Northeast Realty in Scarborough, title sponsor of the Leafs Convo, demonstrating passion for the industry and a superior level of excellence in selling, leasing, and marketing your property. Vanguard Northeast Realty.